0: Today happens to be week 10 of our Sutta Exploration Series. And for today's Sutta, I picked out one of the Suttas that I have found over the years to be uh, somewhat challenging. There are suttas that sometimes we kind of push away. It's, it's too complex, too complicated or something that is about it that you can't quite verbalize. However, you know at the same time that it is a powerful sutta and it's a very moving sutta. One of the factors that um, is quite compelling about this is that it, it repeats in a sense, the content, the verse section, especially, gets to be repeated in not just another sutta, but in three other suttas. So we have three suttas in the Majjhima Nikaya that bear the same name to some extent. And that is, uh, the term is, baddekaratta sutra, baddekaratta. Now, over the years, many people have uh, translated um, but they cut it in, in certain ways and they fall into pretty much one major can uh, in translating it as uh, one auspicious night usually that's or auspicious day so the one that i picked out is uh, the uh, third of these uh, Badekarata series, if you will, and they start with the first one, Badekarata, and then the Ananda Badekarata Sutta, which is, uh, the first one is 131, the second one is 132, Majjima and then today's, uh, the one that we're doing, is the Mahakachana Badekarata Sutta, and then there's another one, which is the fourth one, 134, that is the loma Karakta karatussutta. Um, so ours will be on the um, the, the the third, uh, which is the one where uh, the bhikkhus go and, uh, as had been the norm in those days, when the Lord Buddha would leave uh, a, a teaching in its short summarized version and he would just get up and leave and go to his kuti, many times, uh, the students would be uh, intimidated, shall we say, unwilling to say, excuse me Bhante, could you please elaborate for us what the verses meant or what the short summary is all about in detail? So for them, the go-to teacher would be usually Venerable Maha Katjana. And so, but let's go back to the term day Karata. So as I said, it is uh, usually translated um, as an auspicious day, or in some cases, it's called uh, a fortunate attachment, <coughs> excuse me, and or also an auspicious night is another way of, of, uh, that I've seen it be translated. For a single night's shelter, that's another one. But the one that has, um, these things did not resonate, especially when I was researching it uh, a few years ago when I was doing the recording uh, for the Majjima Nikaya Uh That's where I went with uh, the late venerable Katukurunde uh, De Nyanananda Bikkhu's translation. And he was, uh, par excellence, um, one of the best uh, Buddhist uh, scholars, I would say, scholars slash monks slash practitioners. So for me, that that comes pretty, you know, it's up there in the upper tier uh, of teachers in this uh, dispensation of Lord Buddha. So he translates it as the ideal lover of solitude. So the ideal lover of solitude. And that is what I also um, uh, copied. Uh, I used his rendition, his translation, in translating uh, this sutta for our our study today. Uh, So here we see a sutta that highlights the mind's accomplishment of a person who's delighting in their if you will devotion to insight to wisdom so it's not um, just you know when we use the word uh, words ideal lover of solitude so sometimes people are pulled back from what do you mean by ideal lover Um, so it is the devotional approach to what it means to gain Wisdom that we keep talking about, Lord Buddha's dispensation, is all about gaining wisdom. It's not about attaining some supramundane states and that's it. Well, there needs to be something that uh, indicates that the person has evolved or is rather evolving. Um, So in this case, uh, let's break down the the words, the root words of Bhadei Excuse me. So, badde is the term that uh, often is used for auspicious, exalted, uh, fortunate, noble. Even it's almost like arya, which is noble, nobility. Eka is is one, one single one, uh, and rata is seen sometimes as attachment or loving. So. This is about the person's journey, uh, spiritual journey towards a state of seclusion, a state of uh, solitude. Uh, but oftentimes, whenever we see the, that word solitude or hear about it, we immediately presume that it is about the physical solitude or isolation of a person. Even though Lord Buddha mentioned about the uh, tremendous benefits of taking care of that part, the physical solitude. But what is being referred to here is the solitude that one can place oneself in away from the hindrances, hindrances and the defilements or the chelations. So, as well as the attachment that we have towards the five aggregates. um, And therefore, that solitude renders itself then as a medium, as a pathway that takes the person straight to nibbana or liberation. So, the commentaries also uh, use the Bhadekarat as the one who has a fortunate single attachment. So, their focus is like locked on in attaining um, wisdom Um, and um, but in general in the commentaries it represents itself but as referring to someone who is applying oneself invincibly uh, unshakably Um, we're going to see in the verses immovable which is another term for akuppa Kuppa is movable, shake, you know, something that can be shaken. Uh, and ah, which is the antonym version of it, akuppa means the unshakability of um, a person's desire to know and um, studying what is occurring in the present moment. So, um, I don't want to get too much into um, the bad day other than giving us the um, uh, somewhat of an understanding as to what the term uh, would mean as far as one fortunate night or one fortunate or, or auspicious day, it kind of singles out uh, uh, temporally like one in this case day or one night, however, When a person is tirelessly, we said, invincibly, immovably, unshakably working on this day and night, there goes that theory that this is in reference to one auspicious night, something that happened at one point in time and that's it, that's the end of the story. No, this is what the practitioner is engaged in, day and night, day and night. So that's why that translation doesn't work, uh, in my, to my understanding, and obviously to the understanding of uh, the great uh, Nyanananda Bhikkhu, who passed away a few years ago. So uh, here we see uh, the sage who is at peace, who's uh, developed the practice to such an extent where he or she does not follow after the future or you know to go after pursuing the future um, expecting the future to be this or that putting so much weight on it in the same way someone who uh, also uh, abstains from the mind's normal tendency of just looking back over its shoulder and looking back into the past as to what ifs how I could have done things differently, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this is not the only sutta uh, that talks about this understanding, this definition of solitude. Uh, there is another sutta in the Theranam sutta of the Sangyutanikaya, which corresponds beautifully with the Bhadekarata sutta series, in the Buddha's emphasis on the solitary dweller, the one who lives alone where you have this bhikkhu his name was he didn't have a particular name apparently they just in the sutta it's just called tera, tera means elder, a bhikkhu is normally called the tera, who has the higher is called the tera, an elder, so his name was tera, so his companions in the holy life see that he eats alone, he goes to pindapada alone, he meditates alone, he doesn't want to have anything to do with anybody, it seems living in the forest so they report him to the Buddha uh, and Lord Buddha says okay go and ask him to come the teacher calls him so he goes and you know to the Buddha and he says uh, Lord Buddha always always ask is this the case and Venerable Tera (laughs) the elder says uh Um, i have the verse here it says it in verse it says alone i entered the village for alms alone i return alone i sit in seclusion alone i pace up and down now the buddha does not in any way chastise him or you know tell him he's wrong but he doesn't tell him that he's right either um, because as bhikkhus, we're supposed to be also associating with society, with uh, laity, and to share the experiences, the knowledge that we have, and also to allow laity to gain much merits, and uh, in, in the way that they take care of the bhikkhus. So he encourages the venerable by saying, "Whatever is past, that is abandoned." whatever is yet to come the future that is to be relinquished and the desire and lust for whatever is taking place in the present that is brought under control and in this in this way he says that the ideal of solitary living becomes fulfilled in all its details and um uh, two terms that I need you to be cognizant of, eka vihari and sadhutiya vihari. Eka vihari means or refers to the person who, when they go um, and whether they live in a monastery, in a cave, in society even, as bhikkhus, they do it by living alone, living alone here is in reference to not having craving with it because you can be in a cave all by yourself in the jungles or in a monastery living amongst other ascetics other recluses but the buddha's emphasis is not on the physical isolation or solitude that's why we have the term the Sadhutiya vihari he says For those people, he says, even if they are in the cave by themselves for years, if they have attachments to their craving, to the cave, towards their title, towards the fact that they're different than others, they are not living alone, the Buddha says. They're not living in solitude because they have craving as the second. That's what that means. Eka vihari means living alone, truly. And the buddha is very clear on this he says even if the person is living in the middle of society but without the craving in his heart or her heart guess what they are truly practicing being solitary because they're always watchful on the of the craving so that's another um, uh, thing that um, really was uh, inspiring to read. Um, so let's jump in. Uh, so this is a new translation that I did for our study. So um, there were some glitches here and there from the recording that I had done. So I wanted to fix that. So Mahakachana uh, and the ideal lover of solitude. I have personally heard this. Again, this is in reference to Venerable Ananda speaking this out during the First Council. At one time, the Blessed One was living in the monastery by the hot springs in the royal city of Rajagha. It was during, by the way, it's a beautiful um, uh, sight just to see it. If you ever get a chance to go to Rajagha and to see the hot springs early in the morning I was there a few years ago. And you can see the steam coming off hot springs. They have two sections to it. One is for um, just the public. Uh, it's, it's hardly, I think it's like one or five rupees, which is nothing. Um, and then there is the one that is, I think they said it's a hundred rupee or 150 rupees to enter. That's the one where you see one or two people in there um in the in the huge hot spring but the other one is like crowded with people so it's uh it looked quite crazy uh, just so much activity going on but as you're going up because it takes you the path takes you all the way if you persevere it will take you over the the the, the hill all the way up towards the cave where the first council was held and so they've constructed the beautiful statue of Lord Buddha, a white one, uh, right next to the hot springs. Um, so if you ever get a chance, it's worth going and uh, being there, just sitting there. Venerable Mahaka uh, Kassapa's uh, Kuti is up there too, uh, right over, after you go up the hot springs. It's uh, pretty impressive. Anyhow. Uh, I deviate. Um, It was during that time that the venerable Samidhi, having already risen in the last watch of the night, went to wash himself at the hot springs. There's three watches of the night. Uh, One goes from uh, 6 p.m. around 6 p.m. to 10. And then the one that goes from then till uh, like around 2 a.m. And then the other one from uh, 2, 3 a.m. down to 6 a.m. So, um, if one is to rest, they usually rest uh, during the middle watch of the night. But uh, sometimes they skip the whole three watches and they keep sitting or doing walking meditation. So this is the third watch of the night, where the sun is rising or about to. And venerable Samiti, uh, just a few words on him. He was uh, born into the royal family of um, In Rajakha. He was uh, part of the court uh, of King Bimbisara. And King Bimbisara was uh, the king who had noticed um, in one of his excursions out when Lord Buddha was still a bodhisattva, he was a practitioner. But he was so moved by uh, by Siddhartha Gautama that he arranged for him to, to he had them follow to see what he does and then he found out where he stayed and he went there uh, with his retinue and he said i'm so impressed by you yogi um, i want to give you you obviously come from royal blood he says from the way you carry yourself he says if you relinquish this path i will give you half of my kingdom He says, thank you, but I've already left my kingdom to search for the truth, to search for awakening, freedom from dukkha. And King Bimbisara makes a formal request. He makes the request that once uh, Siddhartha Gautama becomes a Buddha and finds the way, the the path to awakening, that he comes back to Rājaka and teaches him so that is where uh, what Lord Buddha did after awakening. He came back to Rajagaha and he uh, met with King Bimbisara and his retinue, and that's where Samidhi was in the crowd, in the royal uh, court um, committee of whoever went to greet Lord Buddha, and that's where King Bimbisara offered him the Veluvana, the bamboo grove uh, uh, park, to Lord Buddha so he was so impressed that he there and then uh, asked for ordination so uh, and he became one of the bhikkhus so and he also was known as a venerable sariputta student uh, venerable samiti that is so after bathing he came out of the water and stood with his underrobe drying his body Suddenly, a glorious deva appeared while illuminating the whole of the forest. As he approached the venerable Samadhi, stood to one side and said, Bikkhu, do you remember the summary and the detailed explanation of the ideal lover of solitude? Friend, I do not remember the summary and the detailed explanation of the ideal lover of solitude. And in turn, Venerable Samidi asked the radiant Deva, "How about you, friend? Do you remember it?" The Deva replied, "Bikku, I too do not remember the summary and the detailed explanation of the ideal lover of solitude." Bikku, you must memorize and learn the summary and the detailed explanation of the ideal lover of solitude for it is crucial in understanding the fundamentals of the holy life. Having spoken his words, the Deva disappeared from there. Later in the day, the Venerable Samiti approached the Blessed One, and after paying homage to him, sat to one side and said, Bhante, earlier today, having already risen in the last watch of the night, I went to wash at the hot springs. After bathing, as I came out of the water and stood with my under drying my body, suddenly a glorious deva appeared while illuminating the whole of the forest. As he approached me, stood to one side and said, Bhikkhu, do you remember the short summary and the detailed explanation of the ideal lover of solitude? And I answered, Friend, I do not remember the short summary and the detailed explanation etc. So there's a repeat. And these repetitions are necessary for um, the repeating bhikkhus uh, reciters that kept the, the suttas alive and brought us here to this point in, in history uh, so that they can remember. Whatever they had skipped, they could recall back. Um, So that's, there's that purpose and also it allows a meditator or the reader to really grasp what was missed the first time around. And uh, he says, and having spoken his words, the deva disappeared from there, Bhante. Bhante, please teach me the short summary and the detailed explanation of the ideal lover of solitude. Now, here we... um, in in reading or hearing the words of the deva one can uh, presume that this was a teaching uh, that had been already uh, provided to humanity and uh, some commentaries say that the teaching was um, the ideal lover of solitude was spoken earlier by other teacher uh, other buddhas that is uh, but it's not conclusive um, so in this case, we know that Venerable Samidhi um, um, didn't know it, and the Deva, who knows of the title of these verses of this poem, if you, if you will, he had forgotten what the poem was, but he remembered how important it is, and he also remembered the title. Because devas live usually for many, many uh, you know, hundreds of millions of years in some cases, especially when it's a deva of this caliber who is devoted to the Dhamma, it seems. So here is an opportunity for the deva to come and to reintroduce, if you will, the Bhadekaratta, because Lord Buddha definitely knows the teaching. So then the blessed one replied, In that case, bhikkhu, listen carefully to what I shall say and pay close attention for I will teach you this short summary and the detailed explanation of the ideal lover of solitude. Here we go. Do not resuscitate the past nor expect or be anxious for what may lie in the future. The past is over with and the future has not yet come. But things arising in the present, he discerns with insight as they occur. The immovable, unagitated. He maintains the course of wisdom steadfast. Today is the time for the work to be done. Tomorrow, it may very well be too late as death might already be here. For no bargain can be struck with death and its mighty armies. But for him who lives, working by day and by night untiringly, him the tranquil sage has called the ideal lover of solitude. Um, in this particular version of the Bhaddekaratta Sutta versus the first one, which is Majjhimanikaya 131, uh where lord buddha does give the same verse the verses and then he provides a short summary uh, but uh in that one uh lord buddha ap- applies the five aggregates the five aggregates uh, uh to explain the verses uh that we just uh, went through and especially in in, con- in connection with not resuscitating the past Uh, nor going after the future. So he uses the panchakanda, the five aggregates, to as his his way of explaining what the verses uh, mean. But we don't hear this happen. We don't see this happen in this sutta uh, because the Blessed One, uh, he doesn't explain at all. And as the sutta continues. Once finished giving this short summary, the Blessed One arose from his seat and went into his kuti. But soon after the Blessed One had left, it occurred to those bhikkhus, friends, the Blessed One has now gone back to his kuti after giving us this short summary, but without giving us the detailed explanation of what he meant by it." The whole verse continues, do not resuscitate the past. It's a long sutta so I'm trying to um, make time for uh, questions and and, and other uh, sections that need explaining. Uh, So he says the whole thing and him, the tranquil sage is called the ideal lover of solitude and the bhikkhus reflected. Now, who could give us the detailed explanation of this short summary? Then it occurred to those bhikkhus. The Venerable Mahakachana is praised by the teacher, as well as considered wise and held in such high regard by his fellow companions in the holy life. The Venerable Mahakachana is capable in giving us detailed explanation for this short summary given by the Blessed One. What if we approached the Venerable Mahakachana and asked him about this? Then those bhikkhus went and approached the Venerable Mahakachana. And after exchanging friendly greetings with him, they sat down to one side and said, Friend Mahakachana, the Blessed One, gave us a short summary, but without giving the detailed explanation for it. And right after uttering his words, he arose from his seat and returned to his kuti. This is the summary of the teaching he gave us. Do not resuscitate the past, nor expect or be anxious for what may lie in the future. The past is over with, and the future has not yet come. But things arising in the present, he discerns with insight as they occur. The immovable, unagitated. He maintains the course of wisdom steadfast. Today is the time for the work to be done. Tomorrow, it may very well be too late as death might already be here. For no bargain can be struck with death and its mighty armies. But for him who lives working by day and by night, untiringly, him the tranquil sage is called the ideal lover of solitude. Now we have come asking if the Venerable Mahakachana could please provide us with the detailed explanation for this short summary. Then the venerable Mahakachana addressed the bhikkhus thus, friends, it is much like a man in need of heartwood goes in search of it and coming across a standing huge tree that is full of heartwood, he ignores the heartwood, the roots and the trunk and instead considers the branches or leaves to be its heartwood. In the same way, venerable ones, While being face to face with the teacher himself, uh, you have completely ignored him and come instead asking me for the explanation. For he is the Buddha, the blessed one who knows and sees. He is vision itself. He is knowledge. He is truth. He has become the Dhamma and is Brahma. He is the teacher, the one who instructs and is the clarifier of meanings he has given us the deathless he is the lord of the dhamma the tathagata you must have approached the blessed one and asked the teacher himself for then it was the right time to ask for the detailed explanation of this summary and as the blessed one explains it so should you remember and bear it in your hearts Indeed, friend Mahakarchana, the teacher is the Buddha, the blessed one who knows and sees. He is vision, self. He is knowledge. He is truth. He has become the Dhamma and is Brahma. He is the teacher, the one who instructs and is the clarifier of meanings. He has given us the deathless. He is the Lord of the Dhamma, the Tathagata. We must have approached the Blessed One and asked the teacher himself, for then it was the right time to ask for the detailed explanation of this summary. Nevertheless, the Venerable Mahakachana is praised by the Blessed One himself, as well as considered wise and held in such high regard by his fellow companions in the holy life. The Venerable Mahakachana is capable in giving us the detailed explanation for this short summary. By the way, the, this is a normal exchange. <laughs> Whenever somebody, a group of monks or anyone came asking for uh, explanation, elaboration, exposition of any verse, anything that was offered by Lord Buddha in short summary, uh, apparently Venerable kachana uh, would, you know, give them this, uh, if you will, uh, scolding, if you will. Um, so it's a recurring interaction between the venerable monk Ajahn and the bhikkhus, uh, and we see this in other suttas. Um, um, one in particular comes to mind, uh, which is the Amadupindika Sutta, which will probably be the next sutta uh, for us to explore, um, and that is Manjimanikaya 18, and uh, which is also in English, it's called Honeyball Sutta. And then we also have the Uddesa uh, Vibhanga Sutta, also from the Majjhima Nikaya, where we see this interaction between Mahakachana, um, almost trying to drive them back, go back to the teacher. Um, <laughs> so, but they go on with their request. They're pretty adamant, it seems. We kindly ask that friend Mahakachana may not find our request troublesome, and please explain this to us. In that case, friends, listen carefully to what I shall say and pay close attention. Yes, friend, those bhikkhus replied, and the venerable Mahakachana continued. In returning back to his kuti, the Blessed One, not having given you the detailed explanation to his short summary that instructs, do not resuscitate the past nor expect or be anxious for what may lie in the future. And all the way down to him, the tranquil sage is called the ideal lover of solitude. Now, the way I understand and explain the blessed ones short summary here is as follows. And how do you resuscitate the past, friends? By reflecting with delight and lust on how in the past the eyes made contact with pleasing visible objects and sights, and as a result, there arises consciousness that is bound up with delight and lust for such sights, which traps one in the longing for the pleasurable experiences from the past to recur. In this manner, you resuscitate the past. Um, We like to glance forward and backward. We always like to grab the best, the most pleasing with our sight. And the eyes happen to be the loudest, it seems, of the sensory perception, the sense organs, if you will. And that's where we get a lot of the attention that uh, makes us feel that we are living in a world And if we're not being able to consume enough of things that are pleasant, that are pretty, that are uh, not painful, meaning if things are kind of banal, things are mellow, things are not superlative in their colors, in their loudness, if you will, then we start immediately to look back into the past and try to bring something and making comparisons, compare and contrasting. So if we can recall this, just this much of these verses of this sutta, that's, that's quite a lot to be mindful of just the eyesight of how much information we bring in but little to do with what is really happening in front of us. So the looking behind and looking forward or before is similar to looking into the past or resuscitating, um, um, reliving um, uh, the past or being full of uh, expectations when it comes to the future. So um, let's uh, jump in. And by the way, this is something that is quite visible, especially in the case of meditators, where every sit is rarely just that sit, every sitting session, every meditation period is rarely just that. We carry so much from the past, meaning past meditation experiences. It's almost like bringing our meditative resume or CV with us when we sit. Well, this is what I had accomplished in my last sit or the highlight of my sitting history. And so I need to, at the very least, catch up to that or make a repeat of that, at the very least. It's only fair. I mean, if I've done done it in the past, then I should be able to recapture that, relive that, In other words, resuscitate the past. So it's not just mundane memories that we go and resuscitate, but also uh, the jhanas, for example, or any specific um, states of mind, even if it's calm, sometimes you sit and sometimes you're meditating. And from the start, you are in a tug of war with your mind. There's agitation. And now we want to get rid of that agitation. Getting rid of the agitation. It's almost like an unwanted offspring, an unwanted something in your life that you want to get rid of. So, um, but not looking at what's in front or what's in the past, we are uh, giving ourselves, offering ourselves unprecedented resiliency and capacity to remain unshaken, Akuppa. Let's continue. By reflecting with delight and lust on how in the past the ears made contact with pleasing sounds. And as a result, there arises consciousness that is bound up with delight and lust for such sounds, which traps one in the longing for the pleasurable experiences from the past to reoccur. In this manner, you resuscitate the past by reflecting with delight and lust on how in the past the nose made contact with pleasing scents and fragrances and as a result there arises consciousness that is bound up with delight and lust for such smells which traps one in the longing for the pleasurable experiences from the past to reoccur in this manner you resuscitate the past By reflecting with delight and lust on how in the past the tongue made contact with pleasing flavors and tastes. And as a result, there arises consciousness that is bound up with delight and lust for such flavors, which traps one in the longing for the pleasurable experiences from the past to reoccur. In this manner, you resuscitate the past. By the way, I would love for you to listen to these words, if you can with closed eyes, instead of writing notes, taking notes, unless it's a compelling question that comes up or moving the body left and right. Imagine if you could be able to just sit, just sit. These are Lord Buddha's words carried over through Venerable Mahakachana, of course. But even though we're going through the six uh, sense organs, that does not mean that, okay, fine, I heard the, the one about the eyesight. That should be enough. It's a repeat. Well, we, lo- we just lost a huge opportunity. Remember the verse that says, be careful. Don't postpone for tomorrow because who knows? That might be too late. So please use these opportunities uh, in hearing the Dhamma uh, as ways entry points to a deeper understanding of oneself, of your mind and how it functions. Because this is about you, no one else. You, that's it, you. The relationship you have with your senses, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your tongue, your body, this is about that. No one else. So the bondage that Venerable Mahakachana is talking about um, is not necessarily having to do with the the past, but it's more in the, uh, in Pali it's called nandi, or uh, delighting in, being infatuated by, and also the desire and lust that we keep hearing in, in Venerable Mahakachana's explanation, which is the term in English for um, chandaraga, uh, uh, in, in lust, uh, looking after, desire and lust, uh, so which we get caught up in. So, um, so the, our tendency to revive, to relive the past, or to relish the past. Um, also involves developing our sense of detachment, even towards uh, any of these um, experiences, but especially the one um, dealing with the mind that we're going to see in a bit as a sense organ. Because I mentioned about the eyesight being the loudest, but in all, um, uh, when well, when we look at the mind, uh, the chitta or the mano uh, we see how the eyes get triggered by a, a, a something a sight a beautiful sight but we're not seeing it anymore what is the thing that is resuscitating it's the mind it's regurgitating what it thought it saw or what it wished it saw that's when we are lost in the realm of sanyas, sankharas. And that is what we have to be very, very careful for, uh, from uh, being trapped in. And in the Bahiya Sutta, it says, which is, in the sense awareness, there will be just the sense awareness, if you remember from um several weeks ago we did the bahia sutta and lord Buddha said when seeing bahia just see in other words if it's no longer in front of you you're seeing something else don't keep on seeing the thing that is already passed so continuing on by reflecting with delight and lust on how in the past chandaraga Uh, In the past, the body made contact with pleasing touches and tactile experiences. As a result, there arises consciousness that is bound up with delight and lust for such tactile experiences, which traps one in the longing for the pleasurable experiences from the past to reoccur. In this manner, you resuscitate the past. By reflecting with delight and lust on how in the past the mind made contact with pleasing thoughts and mental states. And as a result, there arises consciousness that is bound up with delight and lust for such mental states which traps one in the longing for the pleasurable experiences from the past to reoccur in this manner you resuscitate the past. Friends, it is in this way that one resuscitates the past. So he addressed that portion of the verses. So uh, the eyes, as I mentioned, are very um, swift, very quick, and very distracting at the same time. And what that means is they're very difficult to become aware of as to where they're looking at, what they're looking at. and that is why we're practicing meditation when we say mindfulness what are we being mindful of so first we use the body then slowly slowly as the mindfulness as the awareness of the body gets more and more refined and and more advanced if you will we start to notice other subtle experiences that we hadn't noticed previously and that can take The awareness into the sense organs and we can use them because they're part of the body, of course, and then we can look as it gets more and more refined we'll see what the sense organ is triggering in the mind meaning bringing up the three defilements. Basically, the object that we saw, whether beautiful, repulsive, it really doesn't matter. It is just a sight that the eyes captured. The eyes don't care. It is the mind that comes in and puts on the jacket of, I hate this, I love this, onto the sight, onto the object that was seen. Similarly, with the other organs, whether it's a sound, whether it's a touch, a flavor. So when a person says Bhante, I don't know what object to use for my meditation. It's almost laughable. Because there's all these objects happening all the time. All we need to do is use awareness as our object. Awareness of all this data coming in, even when your mind is so agitated and confused. You're still getting a lot of information from the world around you, watching the mind watching how the sanyas and the sankaras are working overtime to translate to repackage everything that was experienced and unlike bahia putting a storyline to it adding our own versions of what we are seeing so uh this is helping us to stop the perpetuation of delusion within us, uh, whether it's seeing an object, hearing a sound, which is another object, etc. Um, so we must ask ourselves when, when, for example, seeing an object, what is the mind doing with this sight, with this object, the visible object? What is it doing? Is it still there, even though I walked away from it 10 minutes ago? Is it still lingering? Is it still, am I still like gluey or sticky fingered next to those images that I saw, which now I think I saw which I convinced myself that that's what it was even though it might not have been what I saw, what I thought I saw. So, and how long is this occurring? Now, sometimes meditators have the tendency to completely shut it down the moment they become cognizant of this happening. Yes, you are no longer resuscitating the past at that moment. However, you might be also missing an opportunity there because you didn't understand the mechanism of what was happening. And for this reason, sharpening the mindfulness is so key here to understand what happened prior to this. What happened prior to that? What happened prior to this? So you're enhancing your uh, memory capacity to be able to uh, remember. And another word for sati is also a uh, memory, by the way, or remembering. Uh, so, um, so even though it was triggered by the eyes or the eyesight, mind is taken over. The mind has been doing all the work. So now we see his second uh, response. Clarification. And how do you not resuscitate the past? By not reflecting with delight nor lust on how in the past the eyes might have made contact with pleasing visible objects and sights. And as a result, consciousness does not arise that would otherwise be bound up with delight or lust, chandraga again, for such sights. And thus, one does not get trapped in the longing for the pleasurable experiences from the past. In this manner, you do not resuscitate the past. In the Vitakka Santana Sutta Majjima Nikaya number 20, the removal of distracting thoughts, Lord Buddha describes uh, how whatever such a bhikkhu wishes to think someone who has reached that state of solitude. Uh, whatever they think, um, um, whatever they want to think, that's what they think. Uh, whatever they don't want to think, they don't think. I mean, it's so simple. We think we kind of brush it off as okay, so what? But he has cut off craving. He's Ekavihari, he's no longer having craving as the second companion for himself. They got this person, such a bhikkhu, has gotten rid of the fetter. And by fully understanding conceit, they put an end to suffering. Continuing on, by not reflecting with delight nor lust on how in the past he hears, I mean, sorry, the ears might have made contact with pleasing sounds, and as a result, consciousness does not arise that would otherwise be bound up with delight or lust for such sounds, and thus, one does not get trapped in the longing for the pleasurable experiences from the past. In this manner, you do not resuscitate the past. And here we're also seeing uh, right effort. Samma vayama of of the Eightfold Path, the four aspects of right effort. We're seeing how um, to stop the unwholesome. Uh, Well, anything that is there that is unwholesome, that has already risen, to prevent it. To to and then to eliminate it rather, and to prevent new ones from coming in to arise, and then to bring out the the wholesome also is being insinuated here, and then to maintain that of course uh, by not reflecting with delight nor lust on how in the past the nose might have made contact with pleasing scents and fragrances. And as a result, consciousness does not arise that would otherwise be bound up with delight or lust for such smells. And thus, one does not get trapped in the longing for the pleasurable experiences from the past. In this manner, you do not resuscitate the past." You can, say, you can, you can see how Venerable Mahakachana was such a thorough teacher. He didn't just say, this is what it is, period. He needs to explain. That's why the Lord Buddha uh, recognized him as one of the 80 foremost students in different capacities. So, in his case, he was the, the foremost in expositing, in classifying, in elaborating, and teaching in detail what was taught in short form, summary form. By not reflecting with delight or nor lust on how in the past the tongue might have made contact with pleasing flavors and tastes. And as a result, consciousness does not arise that would otherwise be bound up with delight or lust for such flavors. And thus, one does not get trapped in the longing for the pleasurable experiences from the past. In this manner, you do not resuscitate the past. An example that comes to mind here is when we feel hungry. Notice I said feel really like with the body, not think that we're hungry. I think at one point previously I mentioned the differences that we all can relate to. Uh, But let's say we really do have the hunger and the body needs food. As we're getting closer to the food, whether it's we're shopping for it, it's being prepared, somehow it's there, it's being presented, it's a good exercise to check what is taking place in the mind, meaning, if it's a food it's a dish something that we've eaten before and the tastes that we the flavors that we've tasted in the past from this dish if they take off in the mind in the sense that ah i'm going to taste these flavors now or i really like this food because of what it looks like it has if you're a meat eater for example and you find a vegetarian meal being presented to you and there's no meat in it sometimes you know people have seen move their fork or chopsticks around the meal trying to look for those chunks of meat is it really hunger at that point or is it something else the mind has taken off into the disneyland of Senses and and trying to satiate the senses the delight by resuscitating the past. I want to repeat that experience and here is comparison that also you know if I eat this dessert here and I'm in a different place in a different country and I've had that same dessert so called same my mind is going in like that's no way near that other one that I tried there that was Deserving of that title, whatever the dessert is. So we have so many examples of this in comparing and contrasting, which locks us out of living In the solitude That the Buddha is referring to By not reflecting with delight nor lust on how in the past the body might have made contact with pleasing touches and tactile experiences And as a result, consciousness does not arise that would otherwise be bound up with delight or lust for such tactile experiences. And thus, one does not get trapped in the longing for the pleasurable experiences from the past. In this manner, you do not resuscitate the past. Here, the mirror is especially um, a reflective mirror uh, that we I'm presuming every one of us has at least one in, in our household. Um, where we constantly compare this body to the way it was. And we usually have a predominant one area, one typical part of the body that is really the strongest uh, when it comes to this compare and contrast business, uh, where we look back and say, ah, I remember when I had no gray hair, or my my face didn't look so wrinkly or look at this look at that what is this you know and there is all this conceit going on meanwhile again we're wasting a tremendously useful opportunity to look at anicca to also look at the dukkha that comes with along holding the hands of anicca And seeing that there is no substantiality there, where do I put the dot and say, this was the beginning of this person, me, I, whatever? There isn't. All based on conditions. So all conditionality. So in this case, we need to also be understanding and getting a clearer image that mindfulness or sati is uh, a neutral type of activity, if you want to call it that, a neutral. I I hesitate to call it indifferent because that might lead some of us into thinking that it's just careless or had this like, you know, very austere, very disconnected, almost uh, non-compassionate, apathetic, Presence to it, but it doesn't. So that's why I'd, I'd rather use the the word neutral, or even better, equanimous. Uh, it's a plain observation of what is what is taking place. Um, I know some people might uh, take issue with why did I say equanimous for sati, um, inert. Let's just say inert, because equanimity comes in later on in through the jhanas. Um, so. As I mentioned earlier sati can be seen sometimes as memory and you've also heard me many times mention how sanya is also uh, can be considered as memory or memories. So here it is the distinguishing factor is uh, on the um, being reminder uh, reminded of the role of detachment detachment from the memory. So. Um, Sati can be termed as remembering to be mindful. That's another way. Or being mindful, being aware how the mind's attention moves from one thing to the next. That's another way of looking at it. So in that capacity, within those parentheses, yes, it can be seen as memory, but it is not uh, memory as the noun that is used sometimes in uh, relation to uh, sanya or perceptions or expectations or labels. Um, I wanted to mention that uh, because detaching from memory uh, requires uh, not just sati. It does require sati, of course, but detaching from the memory or sanyas requires also panya, wisdom, discernment and uh, especially when we're talking about eliminating excuse me the factor of delight or chandaraga um, to understand uh, and see the truth which is always um, the summum bonum of, of the teachings to get the bhikkhu to see sambe sankhara anichati that all things are conditioned so uh continuing on by not reflecting with delight nor lust on how in the past the mind might have made contact with pleasing thoughts and mental states and as a result consciousness does not arise that would otherwise be bound up with delight or lust for such mental states and thus one does not get trapped in the longing for the pleasurable experiences from the past in this manner you do not resuscitate the past So how we resuscitate the past, now we see how not to resuscitate the past. So this is the remedy, the antidote, which we see uh, usually with Venerable Mahakachana's explanations. Friends, it is in this way that one does not resuscitate the past. So we're seesawing between the extremes of pleasure, mind experiencing pleasure, and mind experiencing pain painful or anything that is even dull it doesn't have to have to be painful but the mind makes it such so if i'm used to seeing beautiful objects if every time i'm listening to music and i'm used to listening to beautiful so-called whatever that is for me beautiful music and every once in a while i hit that dead air where there isn't that exciting agitating uh level of colorful uh music that i would consider beautiful meaning it's bland lukewarm then for all intents and purposes that might seem very painful for the pleasure-seeking mind mindset rather so what happens is then the person is a seesawing left and right in other words looking behind and before in, in front and um uh, they're, they're, you know, we're caught, we're trapped. So, um, one of my uh, teachers uh, in the past, Venerable Punaji, used to say humanity has convinced itself that happiness and pleasure are, you know, they're the same thing, but they're not. And to elaborate his point further, he would say, we human beings uh, live our lives while maximizing on pleasurable experiences. And minimizing the painful ones, and that is the pursuit. So however much we have uh, pleasure experiences that are far exceeding the painful ones, that is pre- basically the yardstick of successful living. Of happy living, which is completely false. Uh, so, um, so maximizing pleasurable and minimizing the painful is quite uh, It is dukkha, in fact, so uh, and how do you expect or be anxious for what may lie in the future? By hoping with delight and lust for the eyes to make contact with pleasing visible objects and sights in the future. And as a result, there arises consciousness that is bound up with delight and lust for such sights, which traps one in the longing for pleasurable experiences to occur in the future. In this manner, you expect or be anxious for what may lie in the future. When there is expectation, there is agitation. When there is agitation, there is anxiety uh, in the mind. So um, that's one of the reasons why uh, we see constantly this term. uh, um, um, When we talk about restlessness, it's another form of agitation. It's subtle agitation, which can manifest and become much grosser and grosser visible in the body itself. Um, that we need to really be um, paying very good attention to um, because I've seen people uh, (laughs) talk about attainments and things or jhanas and uh, they're referring to a certain level of jhana or even attainment first second whatever level of attainment and uh, they're trying to convince someone that they've experienced or they are experiencing that or they're on that level, however, you can visibly see the person becoming agitated. Or angry. Or resentful or uh, physically, you can see the flushing of the face and the anger and all that so. Well, that's a telltale sign that the person is completely saturated in the mind with agitation. And I'm not even talking about vyapada uh, or the ill will dominance in the mind. So when we look at the word immovable or unshakable, akuppa, that means the mind is no longer being perturbed. Akuppa is perturbed, uh, unperturbed. Kuppa is perturbed. So, um, the person doesn't have chandaraga to be a perturbed by. So, um, okay. So by hoping with delight and lust for the ears to make contact with pleasing sounds in the future, as a result, there arises consciousness that is bound up with delight and lust for such sounds which traps one in the longing for pleasurable experiences to occur in the future. In this manner, you expect or be anxious for what may lie in the future. So this is what leads us to more planning. Uh, Another way of saying expectation is another element of that or an extension. One of its limbs is to plan. Uh, The Buddha was never against planning, of course, but how much Credence, how much emphasis, how much uh, of our time as one of our greatest assets do we put into this uh, part of our practice? Planning or expecting, um, striving towards something better, always looking for that something better. A good exercise would be uh, when, if you are, let's say, following social media, for example, or getting emails or getting messages or the news, watch how your fingers, if I'm presuming you're using a smartphone here, but, or even cruising through the TV channels, something like that. See how the mind is so agile in and so quick in making us be uh so easily convinced duped in fact to the moment we caught we we see that this thing is not that pleasing we hit the forward button or we swipe in the case of the screen see how many tries it takes for you to kind of put an end to that and realize what's happening and then putting an end to that becoming more cognizant So we can use these techniques in different ways because we are enmeshed in the the delusion, especially now in this time period in the world, simply because we dislike, in fact, we despise boredom. When a student has reached, let's say, a certain level, uh, certain experiences are happening or not, the person comes in and complains, how come this is not happening? That's another way of saying, Bhante, I am bored. How can I move on to the next jhana? How can I move on to this? Uh, I've heard these people are having these experiences. So how come I'm not? That's why I am totally against having interviews where students are within you know, 25 feet of each other. In fact, it's much better if the doors are closed and nobody's in front of the door because we have a tendency. I've noticed this firsthand with some students overseas in retreats where the student would get up and pretty much give a repeat uh, account of what they heard, overheard rather, uh, someone else say. So, um, because everybody is not happy where they are, they want to move again to the next to the other, which is also um, Baba Asava, one of the contaminants, longing for the other, the better, to become into a state that is better and other than this, because we are dissatisfied and disappointed. We want to know what's behind door number two, number three, number four, and the numbers never end. Um, So, by hoping with delight and lust for the nose to make contact with pleasing scents and fragrances in the future, and as a result, there arises consciousness that is bound up with delight and lust for such smells, which traps one in the longing for pleasurable experiences to occur in the future. In this manner, you expect or be anxious for what may lie in the future. By hoping with delight and lust for the tongue to make contact with pleasing flavors and tastes in the future, as a result, there arises consciousness that is bound up with delight and lust for such flavors, which traps one in the longing for pleasurable experiences to occur in the future. In this manner, you expect or be anxious for what may lie in the future. Uh, Whether facing successes or failures or disappointments, these are all our creations, ultimately, um, whether it's we're talking about the past, present, or future. Um, we need to be constructing. A fancy word, a Pali word that we can use here is sankaras. yes, but there is a more devious presence, if you will. And those are the papanchas. Those are the actual storytellers the weavers of different scenarios in the mind, the what-ifs, they really take on different nuances, generating new commas for us, in fact. Because the next moment, um, the actions that are to happen by my thoughts, my words, my body physically, uh, they're going to be stemming out of my, where my papanchas have left me what foundation they gave me, um, which Lord Buddha consistently says um, are wrong, because we need to go to the papancha state, which is devoid of papanchas. And that is what uh, the arahant is. Uh, that's the state of an arahant's mind. They don't have any more papanchas being made. Um, so in other words, we are kama-making machines Kamma generating machines we're just not aware of them because as we seesaw between pleasure and pain pleasure and pain what we're dealing with basically we're being dealt with excuse me are the are the hands the three hands of the defilements loba dosa moha lust anger hatred and delusion we're in, in we're, we're like a volleyball being tossed between three players if you will. So, so long as we are being propelled, moved by these three, any of these three, uh, we're going to be continuing to be just comma-generating machines, if you will, uh, because we're you know, consistently designing, creating, fabricating new thoughts, new speech, and new actions tainted by these galatias. So by hoping with delight and lust for the body to make contact with pleasing touches and tactile experiences in the future, as a result, there arises consciousness that is bound up with delight and lust for such tactile perceptions, which traps one in the longing for pleasurable experiences to occur in the future. In this manner, you expect or be anxious for what may lie in the future. By hoping with delight and lust for the mind to make contact with pleasing thoughts and mental states in the future, as a result, this is, this fits beautifully with meditators, by the way. Uh, As a result, there arises consciousness that is bound up with delight and lust for such mental states, which traps one in the longing for pleasurable experiences to occur in the future. That's why we need to always start with a beginner's mind. Always. I don't know anything. I just don't know anything. I mean, obviously, you use the techniques as necessary. Just drop back down to your object of meditation. And without having any demands, the mind will remember what is natural for it, what state it is more convenient for it, what is really, really comforting, unagitated. The mind doesn't need to be, doesn't want to be agitated. So, but it requires that trust from our side so that we don't push it left and right. So in this manner, you expect or be anxious for what may lie in the future, he says, Uh, friends, it is in this way that one expects or becomes anxious for what may lie in the future. Um, So, and how do you not expect or be anxious for what may lie in the future? by not hoping with delight and lust for the eyes to make contact with pleasing visible objects and sights in the future and as a result the consciousness does not arise that would otherwise be bound up with delight or lust for such sights and thus one does not get trapped in the longing for the pleasurable experiences to occur in the future in this manner you do not expect nor be anxious for what may lie in the future It's like speaking to a loved one, or rather listening, being with them. And you've been with them, let's say, yesterday or last week, and now you met them again. But somehow the last encounter you had just left you in such a state of joy because of what they said, they did, they expressed. And the whole week you've been carrying that with you, that tune. And today you see them again. Can I stop myself from hoping that my friend will be saying those same things as they did last time I saw them, or expressing or doing something that moved me so much? This is when I bring the attention back to where it needs to be. Not necessarily the words that are coming out of my friend's mouth or the expressions, but what These things are triggering in my mind because I will not be able to see my friend even though they're sitting a few inches away from me and I can see they're there but I can't see them. So looking with so much expectation or anxiety to the future is not seeing life happen and it's that's why Lord Buddha says, Uh, Be careful, tomorrow may never come because death might be waiting for you with its mighty armies and there's no way of bribing death. No way. By not hoping with delight and lust for the ears to make contact with pleasing sounds in the future, as a result, the consciousness does not arise that would otherwise be bound up with delight or lust for such sounds and thus one does not get trapped in the longing for the pleasurable experiences to occur in the future. In this manner, you do not expect nor be anxious for what may lie in the future. by not hoping with delight and lust for the nose to make contact with pleasing scents and fragrances in the future. As a result, the consciousness does not arise that would otherwise be bound up with delight or lust for such smells. And thus, one does not get trapped in the longing for the pleasurable experiences to occur in the future. In this manner, you do not expect nor be anxious for what may lie in the future." Um, in the suttanipata's nalaka sutta uh, there's uh, a verse that says if you delight in being alone then you will illuminate the ten quarters i just found it to be it's like capturing the essence of what venerable mahakachana is talking about what Vener- what lord buddha is saying the ideal lover of solitude So if a person truly is able to delight in what is happening now, boredom and all, even when the mind is agitated, can I be okay with that? Can I be able to observe that? Because you'll be able to understand and through that understanding, detached understanding, I'm observing it, neutral, as it's happening because it is conditional. Perhaps something happened. Perhaps some, you know, I stubbed my toe. Perhaps uh, something happened. Something startling. The ideal lover of solitude is one that is not concerned about what is still reverberating in the air around oneself, but what is happening, reverberating inside the mind, the attitude. So uh, there's also. Um, 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 In the Terragata, Terragata is a book that kept on being added sections to it, um, even after the First Council, and comes from the Kuddha Kanikaya, and there is one verse, uh, say, from the brother of King, uh, Emperor Ashoka, who also became uh, a bhikkhu and became an arahant, in fact, and he was being you know, the emperor's brother. So he was constantly surrounded by guards, attendants, you name it. Um, so he has in his taragata verses, he says, uh, when there is none to be seen in front or behind, one is greatly at ease as one dwells in the forest all alone. This is about the forest, yes. But not only about the force, if we've been listening to what Venerable Mahapachana was saying all along, so there's the Eka Vihari, which is completely independent of what state, physical state one might find oneself, you might be in a busy subway. And you might be in that state. But you might be living surrounded by bhikkhus, an abbot somewhere, in a monastery, in a cave on Pindapada, by yourself, barefoot, walking. But the mind might be lost in craving, which means craving as the second. So this person is not the ideal lover of solitude. So by not hoping with delight and lust for the tongue to make contact with pleasing flavors and tastes in the future, And as a result, the consciousness does not arise that would otherwise be bound up with delight or lust for such flavors. And thus, one does not get trapped in the longing for the pleasurable experiences to occur in the future. In this manner, you do not expect nor be anxious for what may lie in the future. So we need to be truthful and honest first and foremost within ourselves and the intentions While seeking a monastic lifestyle, for example, because I've had many individuals recently reach out to me uh, asking what steps they need to take in order for them to uh, start that path. uh, Moving away from lay life so um, Pursuing the solitude and that is my warning uh, to um, As it was for myself as well before becoming a monastic for over 30 years. When life situations were not allowing me to become a bhikkhu, one of them being my father's illness. Um, But I once heard a a monastic tell me laughably when I said, oh, I can't wait to be a bhikkhu and things. And they laughed and said, do you think that you're going to have more time to meditate? Do you think you're going to have more time for yourself? And I said, well, that's the idea. And they laughed and they said, good luck you're going to have so many responsibilities this and that so I took it with a grain of salt uh, realizing that there was some truth in what they were saying so we need to understand therefore that is it truly ekavihari or is it taking craving with me as the second so I'm not truly dwelling alone um, so that is you know basically it's asking is liberation nibbana within the crosshairs of my mind is that my target and nothing else because we can be easily distracted by the appearances by the rites and rituals by the appearances by the looks by the outfit by the robes even though it doesn't have any style to it uh it's a 2,600-year-old uh, fashion, as Bante Gunaratana would say. Um, so what is it, the goal of the person in seeking solitude? Um, if it's anything short of Nibbana, then it's not the right reason. Then the person must reconsider uh, with such a, such a choice, in my opinion, because I don't buy into, well, there can be Uh, two kinds of bhikkhus. One is the scholar, just that, and the other one is the meditating bhikkhu. That is, I've never seen Lord Buddha mentioning or legitimizing such a claim. Once we become monastics, the goal, the sole goal needs to be not building a monastery, not having, you know, the position of an abbot or such a huge gathering of followers, none of those things. Primary goal foremost has to be one's own liberation and what one can do in the meantime along with that effort. So, um, that is if we want to be on the path laid out by the great teacher himself. So, by not hoping with delight and lust for the body to make contact with pleasing touches and tactile experiences in the future. As a result, the consciousness does not arise that would otherwise be bound up with delight or lust for such tactile experiences. And thus, one does not get trapped in the longing for the pleasurable experiences to occur in the future. In this manner, you do not expect or nor be anxious for what may lie in the future. Uh, By the way, we don't have uh, that much left, so we're almost nearing the end of the explanation, so I know it's a long one I mentioned. Um, By not hoping with delight and lust for the mind to make contact with thoughts and mental states in the future. And as a result, the consciousness does not arise that would otherwise be bound up with delight or lust for such mental states. And thus, one does not get trapped in the longing for the pleasurable experiences to occur in the future. In this manner, you do not expect nor be anxious for what may lie in the future. Friends, it is in this way that one does not expect nor be anxious for what may lie in the future. And how, friends, do you falter, getting lost in whatever arises in the present, friends? When the eyes and visible objects arise together in the present, if there is delight and lust for pleasing visible objects and sights, then the consciousness that follows becomes bound up with uh, by delight and lust, taking pleasure in what is being seen. In this manner, you falter, getting lost in whatever arises in the present. Um, so the, having the unagitated uh, feeling um, uh, neutrally m- while being neutrally mindful is the best place to be in the present so even if there's delight coming up when you're tasting certain food for example is mindfulness there checking it out observing it is mindfulness there catching yourself when you, uh, hatred comes up when you start judging yourself because you were attached to the sense perception so nothing escapes the eye the eye of sati not the eye of the big brother you know that's (laughs) so our own sati is the best um so this is another way of saying harmonious lifestyle or right livelihood that that we see in um, the noble eightfold path Um, associating with wise individuals um, that can get us back on track with our practice, uh, enhancing our sense of presence and and strengthening our awareness of what is taking uh, place in the present. Uh, The help of a teacher is exquisitely uh, helpful in this. So, and when the ears and sounds arise together in the present, if there is delight and lust for pleasing sounds, then the consciousness that follows Becomes bound up by delight and lust, taking pleasure in what is being heard. In this manner, uh, you falter, getting lost in whatever arises in the present. Um, and when the nose and fragrances arise together in the present, if there is delight and lust for pleasing smells, then the consciousness that follows becomes bound up by delight and lust. That is ayoniso manasikara. There's the manasikara, which is wise, uh, reflective attention, and ayoniso manasikara because there's the a prefix. It's the antonym of that, which means the unwise attention, uh, where it doesn't reflect, and it just gets pulled in. the people at Facebook, people on YouTube, and all the mass media and all, everything de- dealing with putting stuff in front of the public, they are excellent. They are experts at creating Ioni Somanasikara. To drag your attention, wise reflection, to in fact eliminate it, not to give you the time of day where you can pause for a millisecond. That's why. Muting the sound is helpful. In fact, if you can completely turn it off, get rid of your TV, usually helps. Um, <laughs> so we need to inculcate, bring out more yonisumana sikara. So taking pleasure in what is being smelled in this manner, you falter, getting lost in whatever arises in the present. Uh, and when the tongue and flavors arise together in the present, uh, and same goes. I'm just going to jump through because there, these are the repeats even though uh, I know for some of you it's nearing midnight, if not already midnight in different parts of the world. So um, I have recorded the whole thing, of course, uh, the other version of my uh, translation, but um, I'll just jump through these different senses for time constraints. And when the body and touches arise together in the present and when the mind and thoughts arise together in the present one becomes bound up by delight and lust taking pleasure in what is being experienced in this manner you falter getting lost in whatever rises in the present here sila before everything when i say here in the dhamma, i mean sila must comes be, must come before everything and including and especially in the case of our thoughts that's where sila gets to be broken first and then the speech and then the action so um, we need to investigate so sila proper uh, application of sila requires an investigation and investigation requires yoni only which is wise reflective attention and which itself requires sati which requires along with it vanya so sila encapsulates all of them. Yes, it's a moving from the outside in, but still it's it's very powerful because it trains, it tames the mind to seek more and more states of non-agitation, to find comfort in that, if you will. So um, continue on. So friends, it is in this way that one falters and getting lost in whatever rise in the present. And how, friends, do you not falter as you remain immovable, discerning with insight whatever arises in the present? Friends, when the eyes and visible objects uh, arise together in the present, and similarly with the ears and sounds, uh, similarly with the nose and smells, similarly with the tongue and flavors, and uh, uh, with uh, the body and tactile uh, objects. And then, finally, with the mind and um, concepts. Um, uh, Then, uh, there is neither delight nor lust for pleasing uh, experiences. Then the consciousness that follows is not bound up by delight nor lust, therefore not taking pleasure in what is being touched. What is being smelled, what is being uh, seen, what is being heard, what is being cognized or known, in the case of the mind. In this manner, you do not falter as you discern with insight whatever arises in the present. So, um, friends, it is in this way that one does not falter, as one remains immovable, discerning with insight whatever arises in the present. Friends, this is how I understand and explain the Blessed One's short summary, which states, do not resuscitate the past, nor expect or be anxious for what may lie in the future. The past is over with, and the future has not yet come. But things arising in the present, he discerns with insight as they occur, the immovable, unagitated. He maintains the course of wisdom steadfast. Today is the time for the work to be done. Tomorrow, it may very well be too late, as death might already be here. For no bargain can be struck with death and its mighty armies. But for him who lives working by day and by night, untiringly, him the tranquil sage has called the ideal lover of solitude. Well, A valid question might be posed here uh, which is uh, well what is it that disturbs our freedom from experiencing this solitude well you remember the five aggregates the five clinging aggregates disturb our natural freedom that comes from from true solitude they're always there trying to get our attention they're always there to disturb us Pulling us out of our sit, for example, the body aches. This is my body. If I don't get up, my legs are going to fall off. Really? Really. If I don't move my body this way, my hands are going to fall off. Now, Of course, sometimes the legs get numb or because of constriction of blood and all that. So we need to be cognizant. But usually, the five aggregates, the grasping aggregates, are the ones that make us be shakable, which is the opposite of akuppa. So we become movable. They're the ones that pull us out of solitude. And the solitude, again, is not uh, we shouldn't think about it as physical solitude, although the Buddha highly encouraged that. With every single reference to the jhanas, the bhikkhu always is isolating secluding oneself from the senses from sense pleasures. so seclusion is always there to some extent but it is not uh, that mandatory all the time to bring about the sense of of the ideal lover of solitude that's what I'm referring to here so uh, now friends if you wish please go and approach the blessed one and ask him about it And as the blessed Lord explains it to you, you should listen carefully, remembering and bearing it in your hearts. Yes, friend, replied those bhikkhus, delighting and grateful for the words of the venerable Mahakachana, as they arose from their seats and went to the blessed one. And after paying homage to the teacher, they sat to one side and then recounted all that had taken place while adding. Bhante, having requested from him, the Venerable Mahakachana explained the, in detail the short summary you had given us, which he did in this manner while using these words and phrases. In hearing their words, the Blessed One replied, Mahakachana is wise because Mahakachana possesses penetrating insight. If you had approached me asking for the detailed explanation to this summary, I would have explained it in the exact same manner as did Mahakachana for that indeed is its meaning and that is how you should remember and bear it in your hearts this is what the blessed one said and those bhikkhus were even more delighted in hearing the teacher's words if you want to experience vision of the dhamma then we must first be looking. Vision, looking. Sometimes we want something, but we're not putting any energy. We're not even gearing ourselves up in in that direction, working in that direction. So as I was mentioning earlier, the intention must not be short of full, complete liberation uh, because time is running out. When you wake up in the morning, can you wake up with your attention on the very first breath that comes into view when you wake up? Meaning, is the first breath taken with full awareness? And not the thoughts that come cramming in, barging in, memories, whatever, experiences. Can I take mindfulness with me to bed? That would be another question. Or when I go to work. So, being aware of the power that perceptions have in using these color brushes on reality altering it, um, causes us to always check in uh, with our sankharas. And what is the nature of our sankharas? In other words, sometimes you've heard me use the word attitude. What is my attitude towards uh, my experience? And because ultimately what Lord Buddha is saying is reject all mental phenomena, whatever it is, so long as it's not full Nibbana, reject them all. Don't pitch your tent anywhere until it's full Nibbana. Of course, you need to be communicating with someone, a teacher who can guide you using those signposts, these experiences, these hurdles, explaining them, clarifying them. You're doing the work, though so ultimately our journey must take us to that uh, state of akupacetu vimutti the unshakable unperturbed liberation of the heart nibbana so that is the ideal lover of solitude uh to my understanding and i hope this uh today's sutta exploration helped in uh, in, in uh, understanding that a little bit better, perhaps. So I will pause and ask for if there's any questions and comments. Uh, I would hope there are some.
1: Uh, uh, Bante? Yes. Uh, Thank you very much for that, uh, first of all, for reading that translation actually, it was quite interesting to see what difference somebody who has translated it while clearly practising can make on the, on the words of the sutta, because it was much easier to understand than the versions I'd been, well the one version I'd been listening to, uh, no not listening to, um, reading on Suta Central. Um so, yeah, so, so first of all, thank you for that. Um, the the, the, the sutra is, it reminded me of, in some ways, of the, one of the methods of practice I've been following based on the, the turtle simile, which you've, you've uh, read yourself on, uh, on, on the YouTube uh, videos. And what, 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 what question sort of brought to mind is, you're quite an advocate of, of a genuine smile with uh, with this practice, I, I'm a bit unsure where 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 the two sort of meet really, and is the smile really an aid to 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 help bring up this joy inside, so you don't have to necessarily keep going outside? Is that is that where is that part of it? Um, yeah, yeah, I guess that's my, my main question actually. Yeah.
0: Um. This is a question that comes up about the genuineness of the smile, Uh, as uh, you know uh, you you've heard me say how important smile is yes, but it could easily be. A genuine. uh, tear. We can't always be smiling. Otherwise there's something seriously wrong with us, we need to find a DSM code for you. Uh, But. We go through fluctuations of emotions, different things happening, given the circumstances, so long as we're not arahants, of course. But even arahants sometimes cry. They do. When they're trying to express. The beauty of the Dhamma. So. Um, so even in a tear. Uh, uh, a moment of, 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 of um, genuine though, genuine tearful state, but not overwhelmed with your mind becoming agitated, where there can be a complete embodiment of compassion within you, towards you, or towards someone else. That also has, the way I understand it, the genuineness, the quality of genuineness as does the genuine smile that I keep referring to. So sometimes it doesn't have to be such a wide smile, for example. It might be just uh, if you're wearing, I'm exaggerating here, a tight pair of shoes or you've been wearing your shoes all day and you take them off after having stood on your feet for all, all day. How do your feet feel? Doesn't that give you a sense of comfort? I would say yes. And is that a genuine sense of comfort? Again, I would say yes. So can you wish that upon yourself? And when you're cognizant that, okay, I'm trying to generate the smile, it feels almost fake. In fact, I'm like, ah, I'm manufacturing it almost. And that is something that, of course, I don't advocate for. And and I I try to help the person not do that anymore. And and bring in more of an awareness to, okay, what's happening? Can I have compassion towards myself as one side of my brain keeps pushing and bullying, bullying, basically, me to start smiling, basically? I can't go around and tell people, hey, how come you're not smiling? You should smile. Meanwhile, I'm not smiling. I've seen that quite a bit. And it's it's comical and sad. So I'd rather have the person be aware, neutral in a neutral fashion, of what is taking place. That is like the preparation ground. That is like washing the plate before you and drying it and placing it and making it ready for the meal to come. There, that's where how I understand the genuineness quality play into this how is this uh, does this
1: yeah, yeah definitely like the, like that sincerity and like the softness and the gentleness which is like intricately tied in together um yeah that that does it it, it makes a lot of sense to me so thank you Batna.
0: Mm, I'm
1: glad
2: can I comment yes uh, I found that uh... If I let joy arise, yeah, a, a, s- a slight smile just comes naturally, and uh, I believe the Buddha did say we should cultivate the awakening factors, and, and, and joy is, is one. And if you let go of hindrances, it yeah, it just it just it just comes. That's my comment.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, when it comes, it comes, right? And it's a beautiful welcome for it, uh, but uh, we we're not always functioning. Not all of us are functioning with the seven factors of awakening all the time. Sometimes we have to kind of almost feels like we're starting all over again from scratch. The mind likes to deceive us, even if the person has been, you know, in lofty states. Let's say. Uh, but it it happens because you're dealing with sankharas and we have so many countless eons of lifetimes where we've collected many sankharas that's why it's pointless to sit down and engage in argumentation with oneself and trying to eliminate or try to go after the sankharas however a way to address it would not be uh, wise let's say if one would go about it as, as forcing a smile upon it, because like any of the seven factors, the Satta Bhujangas, they arise naturally. Of course, we prepare the ground for them, but they are working. It's not the, for example, the Satta Bhujangas, the PT factor that like you mentioned, the joy factor or a rapture, as some people call it, is a higher quality of joy. It is um, the, the highest, in fact, quality of joy that one, a human being or a being, could experience. But prior to that, there's different levels of joy that have unfolded in the person. Now, sometimes the person is so far away from that, and it could happen very quickly, instantaneously, but they are not on the, uh, they're not standing at the right uh, doorway, if you will of they don't have the right attitude because they're now there's a sense of compulsion there's a sense of beating oneself down refusing whatever state they're in by bringing in joy and how come i'm not feeling the joy i should be smiling there you go that is not the sattva jangas piti no way that's the surest way of not experiencing it in fact So when the person, however, develops that empathy towards oneself by accepting, whether it's tears, whether it's it's a smile, whether it's forgiveness, whatever it is, uh, there's an opening, there's a softness, like you mentioned earlier, there's a softness, 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 and suddenly the mind, especially if they have experienced the sattabujangas in the past, suddenly recalls those states suddenly calls those states and even the jhanas could have come in and um, lovely visitors but there has to be the, 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 the soft acceptance of what is taking place without because if I am bringing in I should be feeling this way that is either resuscitating the past or expecting something from the future. Basically, I'm not the ideal lover of solitude. So I'm not the baddei at that moment. So yes, absolutely, satta are, in fact, once they're all balanced, that's where nibbana occurs. They have to be there, but we have to start from somewhere and that somewhere needs to be drenched with acceptance and genuineness way I understand it. Thank you. Other thoughts, comments? Uh, Bhante. Yes. uh, uh,
3: Thank you. This is sort of a a sort of a naive question, but uh, I think that, you know, in the daytime, it's possible either to, well, suppress or repress, you know, uh, whether it's a negative uh, attachment to the past or Uh, certain type of expectations of the future but my question is uh, and then you did mention you know mindfulness before sleeping my question is uh, I noticed that in dreams however it's very hard to control and most dreams do deal with uh, either um, revising the past remembering the past or altering the future Uh, and those are a little bit Hard to control, and none of them, hardly any of them, deal with just you know the present reality. Uh, I would say about you know eighty percent of them might deal, whether it's remembered or not, they do deal with <clears throat> some version of the past, um, usually a revision mm-hmm. of it or or something. Yes. Or uh, and so, as I said, you know, in the daytime. I think it's possible to, you know, for instance, just to exaggerate. I mean, I probably won't kill or, you know, the five, I would try to follow the five precepts uh, in the daytime, but in my dreams, well, all hell breaks loose and I, I just can't, you know, I I know that it does. Yeah. I could hardly remember. So I see. You. I was wondering, there's this sort of, you know, struggle. Mm. So I was wondering, is there any kind of techniques to uh, <laughs> not to subdue the dreams, but to, you know, maybe make them um, go on a somewhat different path?
0: Yes. Thank well, you. yes, it's, a, it's actually a very um, good question. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, the um, different teachers have mentioned different things. Um, uh, For example, with two uh, great teachers whom I uh, respect tremendously, Uh, one is Ajahn Man um, and the other one uh, was uh, Ajahn Mahabua, his student, both of whom have taught their students um, that um, they, the students, um, need to practice as uh, Sati, Sampajanya, mindfulness um, throughout the day. And uh, to such a point where, you know, you, they're doing walking meditation, sitting walking meditation, even lying down meditation. But when the moment comes where the person is so exhausted that they need to go to sleep, they give you a waiver. They give you like basically a permission in this sense where um, uh, it's okay for you to have those, uh, those memories coming up. And because yes, they do because, um, and that's why I'm not a big fan of suppressing to begin with. Uh, But again, so they, they basically say that it is okay during those hours for you not to be aware. Now, that doesn't say that they themselves lived like that because they were excellent teachers and practitioners at that. Um, we have examples, and, and I uh, also, um, my experiences has been have been in a way where you can carry mindfulness with you if it has been with you throughout the day, so long as there's no suppression or you're seeing the suppressing uh, dynamics take shape in the day. So at that point, sleep does not necessarily become a form of escape where you can finally go, oh God, thank God, I'm tired. So now I'm going to not be practicing sati, which oftentimes is the case with many practitioners. However, if a person is able to carry their mindfulness with them all the time, having the Dhamma in their heart all the time, thinking about sila, for example, one of the first ways that they could start seeing that sati is with them is through their adherence to sila while asleep, while asleep. I have students who um, have begun experiencing that where they uh, see a, a situation, let's say you, using your example, they're about to kill someone in the dream, they stop. If they're holding a weapon, they throw away the weapon. And that is the first, uh, to my understanding, experience uh, where the person develops, brings mindfulness even into your sleep or dream state. And it can grow to such a point where the person can identify even the kilesha starting to come in. So. At, in such instances, the mindfulness is almost 100%. And it's only a matter of refining it, refining it, refining it. And there's even cases where individuals can have insights while asleep. And this is not just a lucid dream situation, but they're asleep, asleep. Where there's insights coming in and out. Suttas are playing... So how much of an authenticity is there in the practice of the person? Now, of course, the Buddha did not expect every student of his to be able to do that. That's why some of the Adyasavakas have given that window of of rest. And there's even Vinaya rules, let's say, if a person has some type of, uh, you know, uh, temptation-ridden, shall we say, dreams, things like that, um, the person is forgiven because they were simply um, in a sleepy, in a dream state. So there are these uh, things that we need to uh, be uh, looking forward to, shall I say, uh, that, that really can take the practice to a deeper, deeper level. So I hope... Uh, Without going into too much details, of course, too many details. I hope that kind of a- addresses your question.
3: No, thank you. You know, one technique I use is maybe it's a little bit cheating, the merit of compassion, where you start out with you know yourself and then the families and teachers, and then what by the time it reaches the devas, further down, then I gotta <laughs> sleep. You know, uh, I mean, I'm listening to it. Uh, that's <laughs> Well, sometimes I do that because, well, it kind of gets my mind, you know, in wider circles as it kind of expands and expands and well, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, um, Thank you. Of course, of course. It would be lovely, though, to get to see the devas smiling back at you when you're sending them loving kindness instead of getting knocked out right at that point. (laughs) So, but at least you're, you know, you're going to get a restful night's sleep. Um, but the key thing to take from what I was saying earlier about being mindful when you wake up and, and taking mindfulness with you to sleep um, is to limit the gaps of unconscious states or or where they're, if, if you're unconscious, chances are I only saw is going to come in, meaning... The uh, unwise attention is going to come in and take you away uh, to, you know, different defilements. Uh, having said that, uh, there are teachers and uh, who advocate for not sleeping. Remember the three uh, watches of the night I mentioned, um, where the middle is usually um, kept for sleeping for some for some that is. Um, there would be nights where the Buddha, Lord Buddha, would not even sleep. And it's one of the Kamatana or, or Dutanga practices, um, austere practices. And the late Webu Sayadaw, uh, Verma, he was a big, big advocate of uh, uh, not sleeping. And um, not lying down. So he would uh, allow himself to sit, uh, to walk, and to uh, sit, uh, sit meditation, walk and stand, meditating. Uh, but he would not allow himself to lie down. Uh, and, and he would constantly be in, um, in meditation. So you have that also. And uh, he didn't die, he lived like that after he became an Arahant, I believe he lived like that for the rest of his life. Um, And he was uh, rather young when he became an Arahant. And uh, you see, fortunately we have videos on YouTube of him. Uh, It's uh, unfortunately not, he never spoke in English, but you can see how austere, how strong Even his physique was so, like, he didn't look like he was deficient in, you know, in in, in rest or something. He was so present. Um, So sometimes we, just like eating three times a day, which is a myth, um, you know, um, we've been taught certain things, like, you need to sleep this many hours, um, etc., I tried going without sleep for several days and I didn't die. Uh, It definitely helps uh, your (laughs) video. And uh, the mindfulness gets sharper. So I'm not saying go without sleep. But uh, slowly, slowly pushing that envelope is not a bad idea. How do you, uh, Terry? You had a question. How do you? I'll say it so that. Uh, how do you spell the name of the Ajans? Oh, Ajan Mun. Um, mun is uh, sometimes people say Mun. It's M-U-N, and the other Ajan is uh, Ajan Mahabua. M-A-H-A long A, Buwa. I've seen it uh, spelled with B as in boy. Double O, W-A or in some cases, B as in boy, U-W-A, uh, yes. And they, they are one of the, uh, um, in my opinion, uh, um, uh, one of the greatest teachers of, of the 20th century uh, that we have had the uh, good fortune of having. So, I
2: apologize. See, I couldn't write it down in time.
0: Ajahn Mun, and the other one Mahabua B O O W A. Oh, okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other uh, thoughts, questions? I once had a, a person, uh, a Buddhist, uh, a very devout uh, supporter, uh, when I was in uh, New Zealand, I believe, and he came to me and he said, "I was in a bante then, and I had just given a dhamma talk." And he came and he said, "I have a question about this very troublesome sutta." And he says, "Why did the Buddha teach it four times?" And I said, "Which sutta are you talking about?" I said, but they got "The sutta." Why was there a need for the Buddha to teach it four times? Uh, I think that was his main question. But actually, they're not taught by the Buddha four times. The first time, the Buddha taught it. The second time, it's Venerable Ananda teaching it uh, to, the, to the students, to the other bhikkhus, in fact. And then Lord Buddha comes in, I believe, and he says, who was teaching you the Vadekarata Sutta today? And they say it was Venable Ananda, and he repeats Uh, uh, what he taught. And then there's this one, the third. And then there's the fourth one where Loma Sakangiya Sutta, where we see another Deva, or it might be the same Deva, uh, who comes and asks this bhikkhu um, about this sutta. And Lord Buddha addresses, uh, um, explains it to him. And um, I love to touch upon these suttas that I don't see them being mentioned uh, enough and how important they are, especially now because we are uh, caught in this perplexed, confused world that we're living in, perhaps more so than ever in documented human history, where there's so much going on, so much confusion and uh, we need to apply wise reflection and investigation.
2: Um, These are very timely for me because my mind has always been wandering, thinking about the past or future, you know, caught up in delusion. So th- these lectures have been very, very timely for me personally. I had a, one last question. Um, where can I find, or where can we find uh, written, tra- written versions of your translations?
0: Oh, the ones that I made?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, uh, <laughs> I- Because it'd I,
2: be nice to uh, refer back to them and study them, I can't remember like I used to.
0: Ah, I see. Well, because of my well schedule being so difficult in, in, in doing so many different things and sometimes the translations like even today as I'm reading the translation that I finished recently of this, uh, I caught certain typos um, and then I have to change it in mid-sentence as it were, but what I can do is I can have uh, some of them be uh, at least the ones that um, some of the ones that we've covered here uh during these series I can have them be emailed to you domadina could probably send them to you guys so you can have access to them um,
2: you want our email addresses or
0: no she should she already had you're 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 i think you're on the list
2: yeah uh, I, the notices are it's suited to read. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, no problem. So um, if there are no more questions. May I
4: ask a question?
0: Yes. um,
4: When you were talking about the solitude and one thing you say is that when we are meditating um, all these memories enter, so unless it's the memory that has to do with being mindful, always being mindful, all these other memories that we had put so much stock in, you know, that we must remember our parents, we must remember that they are not necessarily um, beneficial or important to our um, sit And I was just wondering that so many people who are getting older, they worry so much about, you know, getting Alzheimer's, that's the biggest worry. So would you say that according to this uh, path to your practice, it's no big deal to worry so much about if you're losing that kind of memory, as long as you remember to be mindful, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, sooner or later, we're gonna be dead, right? Memory or no memory. So might as well live with some attention, some joy of of, of really being present in the thing that is being experienced rather than latch on or frame, try to frame the present moment somehow while using any of the sixth sense organs and then replaying that in my head and saying, ah, yes, that was a lovely meal. That was a lovely encounter And every time you go, you re-embellish it somehow, adding certain nuances to it. Meanwhile, you're completely missing out on what's underneath you, what's happening. Um, So uh, Alzheimer's, uh, I don't know if there's been any research on the role of uh, uh, wise reflection being utilized by meditators, for example, in slowing down the Alzheimer's impact um on the mind on the brain rather but to me that is not that important um because i wouldn't even say that it is the biggest fear alzheimer's for a person advancing in years getting older it could be being hit by a bus as you're crossing the street what happened to that you know you know we we'd like to highlight certain uh things that are getting a lot of attention in the media and and things in articles and um, death is always there irrespective of how it comes what flavor it comes in with and uh, we cannot renegotiate we cannot bribe the armies of death um, with wealth with this with outsmarting it by yeah you can protect yourself as much as is possible whether it's rest nutrition what you expose your uh, eyes to your senses to but i think the common denominator whatever we come back down to we have to circle back to the drain that is mindfulness and being as alive when the present moment is taking place instead of smearing it with elements from the past meaning resuscitating the past or expectations meaning anxieties of the future because we are going to be hit 100 percent of the time with disappointments vis-a-vis the future it will never unfold the same exact way as we want it to in fact oftentimes it will be the opposite But what happened there? What was lost? That moment, that present moment, which is now a past, is lost. Because it continues to be lost. Because we like to relish, we like to relive. Whether it's the memories of parents, because, okay, which parents are we gonna be, uh, let's be fair, which parents are we going to remember? This one, This, this last couple, who raised us in this body, which, by the way, the body changed. Or the countless parents that we've had. Why be unfair towards them? Probably some of those parents were much more loving than this last couple that we encountered. So in that sense, it becomes irrelevant. However, when there is a moment of awareness, and it is pure, it is genuine, it also brings about a sense of empathy which brings about a sense of equanimity eventually which is one of the brahma viharas it's the highest brahma vihara in fact divine abiding from which you will just like uh, in the suttanipata section that i read where it says uh, the person who is living truthfully in solitude in the mind is one that is permeating is one that is a person that is reflecting, radiating love, loving kindness, compassion, altruistic joy, and especially equanimity in all the 10 directions. You don't have to necessarily remember because that will create agitation in the mind and guilt. Definitely guilt if you suddenly remember that, ooh, I didn't recall my grandmother today there goes you know we just added a, a wave on this placid lake surface and the more agitation there is the less you are present to what is happening your eyes are not seeing what is happening in front of you they're replaying constant constant replay which is a wasting of time which also pulls the rug from underneath our sense of so-called identity that we've established for ourselves after 50, 50, 60, 80 years, whatever, which many of us don't want to let go of, which is a big problem, but that opens up a, a totally new discussion, <laughs> or an added one hour discussion. So, but I hope that helps.
4: Would you say the same thing about history also like not that important to remember the history because history is in a a form of memory right that we always feel that it's important to learn the history so how how would the dharma look at things like you know remembering what Mm. happened remembering
0: it it will pick on what you said learning from history learning from history but we need to be honest when we say history who's history what history whose version of history because history is being taught in multiple universities around the, the the globe there's so many different versions of history and that is only the printed ones that was written by the conquerors so which version of history are we talking about So, uh, but yes, uh, learning from history and then just dropping it so we don't repeat it, we don't live in it. Because now I'm making history if I'm living in the present, truly. So, with that, let's uh, share some merits. May suffering ones be suffering free and the fear struck fearless be. May the grieving shed all grief and may all beings find health relief. May all beings share in these merits that we have thus acquired for the acquisition of all kinds of wholesome happiness. May beings inhabiting space and earth, devas and nagas of mighty power share in these merits of ours. May they long protect the Buddha's dispensation I hope uh, uh, these uh, continue to help uh, your practice, your understanding of the Dhamma gets deeper. And feel free to uh, replay them or um, because there's always something that we gain. Read them again listen to them again, Um, because every time we listen, uh, we gain so much. Um, But listening again, like that empty plate or empty bowl, without expectations, without this is how it's supposed to be. This is what this word supposed to mean, etc. So leaving our own conceit and everything else out. Uh, The Dhamma is uh, humbling if we practice it with our hearts and place the Dhamma in our hearts. So be well, and I'll see you next week.
1: Thank you, Bhante.